The year is 2005. I'm Dave. I'm Charlotte. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello, and welcome to My Marvelous Year. I'm Dave Houston, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. You're listening to My Marvelous Year. This is the podcast and reading club where we go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today, all the best and most essential reads of the era. We are on 2005. We're midway through the 2000s, moving at a rapid clip. This is part six. Today, we're going to be talking about Daredevil and Black Panther, a new Black Panther. So we've got an ending and the beginning, ending of Daredevil, beginning of Black Panther. It's going to be an interesting conversation. I am joined today by an individual who I met at group. We were sitting at group, and um, and she was sitting there, seemed pretty normal. And uh, I, I just have a suspicion that when she goes home, she's praying to the devil and coughing up a gross baby. I just have this hunch that now, Charlotte, can you confirm nor deny uh, any gross babies that you've spit up lately? Listen, I will only speak in the presence of my attorney. Now, currently, my attorney is uh, suspected of being a vigilante, so that's going to take a long time. <laughs> but I will only speak in the presence of my attorney. <laughs> totally fair. Totally. Who who also was at group and no one noticed? We yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He has really good uh, stealth skills. <laughs> Incredible stealth skills. We're referencing, of course, Daredevil here, a Decalogue. So let's start here. So we got, we read Daredevil issues 71 to 81. And if you want to know all the comics that we're reading, we include the, the list in the show notes. You can get access to the full My Marvelous Year spreadsheet for as little as $1 a month via patreon.com slash my marvelous year we are an entirely listener supported podcast thank you to everybody who has joined in there are also some other cool patreon benefits like you can get access to our exclusive slack channel aka the best comics community in the world you can um you can at a higher tier you can even start to put comics on the list my sacred little list becomes vulnerable to the whims of the masses for for shekels for naught but a few dollars you can influence <laughs> what readers for years to come are going to have to be exposed to. Charlotte, I have I have been talking. Um, I just threw this out in the Slack yesterday. Yeah, it's come up a couple times. I've seen that people are like, "Oh, we didn't read blank," and that's really you know a big deal in the two thousands. So I'm like, "All right, we should do a we should do a variant cover." What did we miss of the two thousands? Like, I'm yeah. mostly thinking of like Chuck Austin's X Men here. I've seen come yeah. up the most. Where like we just didn't talk about it at all, <laughs> for and understandable I, reasons, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's one of those, and I'm not even like a huge hater, but it's it's one of those things where my criteria for the list were always best and most essential, right? And I I feel like the Austin X. So if you have a a run or an era that is notorious for um, fans despising it, you know, uh, to me yeah. that doesn't fit those criteria. But I guess you could, well, if you wiggle essential, like it, it definitely left past. a legacy. And we did do Since Past, which which was, you know, definitely due to fan. Like Since Past was not on the original lists. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I 
and, and, but now I'm glad I included it. So anyway, that that's neither here nor there with the comics we're talking about today. But I do think maybe we'll do uh, a variant catch up. If you have thoughts about stuff that is you know semi recent that we glossed over that you feel like is worth talking about in that episode, um, shout them out in Slack. You can uh, you can email them to Zach, um, who's not here today at uh, mymarvelthisyear at gmail.com. You can even leave us a review if you want. With uh, That's with a great way to do it. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Yeah, leave us an iTunes or, or uh, yeah, an iTunes review. Um, and if you give us five stars, we will pay attention <laughs> to, what you, to what you request we talk about. Uh, no, Perfect. give us a fair and honest review. We'd love that. So, all right, Daredevil, issues 71 to 81. This is the end of the Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev era, which began... You know, this is what we're, we're doing this in 2005, kind of into 2006. Um, you know, it's a five-ish year run on Daredevil for this creative team who almost wholly, you know, do it together. Like Alex Maleev is, is on nearly every book, which is, you know, recording this in the year 2023, a pretty unprecedented, like not unprecedented, but a, a, a increasingly rare feat yeah. to have artists who actually do the whole thing. And it's just, it, it really, I don't know, it's, it's beating a dead horse. Fans complain about this all the time, but it's just like having the visual consistency and styling of a full creative unit on a run. It really does make a big deal, I think. Um, and Maliev and Bendis are yeah. are really quite wonderful together. Bendis Charles, had you read these with that stuff, right? Because like between this and Ultimate Spider-Man, like he gets lucky with those big runs with one cohesive creative creative team. Like, I, I, yeah. is there another example of a big Bendis series that's like full same writers, same artists from the beginning to the end? I mean, Powers, you know, is creator own stuff. Yeah. That goes for a while with Mike Lavon Oming. Um, you know, I think uh, I think Bendis definitely has a reputation as being as being really great to work with for artists. Yeah. You know, like really good artists seem to to want to work with Bendis. He has he's cultivated, I think, a lot of like individuals who who are loyal to him in that regard. You know, I think of like Bendis. I think of um, maybe Morrison. To an extent, there are certain. Yeah. I think Hickman actually is pretty good at this. Um, Rick Remender is another one who like. I mean, Willie Miller, for Mark, Mark Miller. Yeah, like, yeah. Which, which I, yeah. I wonder. No, no. Go ahead. Go. Ahead. Where are you going? I mean, just he's working with his Miller, uh, Miller verse Miller world thing. Like he has Olivier Coipel, he has Pepe Larraz, he has like big, big names that don't do much, a lot of interior of comics uh, nowadays yeah. like he he gets lucky with that and yeah i mean i'm guessing the paycheck has something to do with it but i, th yeah. I think it's the dollars in yeah. that case um but no like that is i mean that's his biggest skill at this point yeah his um is identifying who are the best artists and, and getting them to do interiors um but no I, th I think certain writers develop and it's not just like it's not just success i don't think i think there's certain like a lot of the a lot of the similarities like with the Bendis is like well he was an artist as well right like he does Jinx is, is him sure, I think yeah. Hickman has a similar thing Morrison has a similar thing um I think they maybe artists just have an easier time communicating with them but at the end of the day I think this Daredevil run is is really quite phenomenal um I could not put it above Miller and Klaus Janssen I just could never do that it's not that far off like it's yeah you know, because if you say early 2000s, okay, like the creators are going to come in and they're going to try to, they're going to try to come for Miller's Daredevil, you know, like that feels like a fool's errand. And it's, it's not that far off. I mean, I really, I really like these comics. There's a few things I'm going to poke at here. 
Um, had you read this conclusion before? Or I can't remember, like, had you read this full run? I hadn't read any Bendy's Daredevil before we, we did this. Um, except, like, for his Ultimate stuff. Uh, yeah. Which is just this, but slightly worse. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> or it's, like, not as... It's just, like, a few one-shots and a few appearances here and there um, that uh, emulate this. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I hadn't read this before, and I didn't even really know what where we were going uh where where the run ended um and like that's Daredevil is one of the few characters where i don't want to like like i don't want to read any 2023 Daredevil right like i'm not gonna read present day Daredevil until we catch up with the club because i really want to have that like overview of going from from great run yeah. to great run because that's that's something Daredevil has a lot of um, and like Brubaker is coming next, and then we get some Mark. Uh, is Mark Wade immediately after Brubaker? But anyway, we get like no, some, no. no? Yeah. <laughs> there's there's one fallow period. <laughs> okay, interesting. <laughs> there, there, but it but it's it's not an uninteresting fallow period. Yeah. Um, no, I do. That's one thing I love, and I guess I, you do have to run it back to Kevin Smith and Joe Quesada on Marvel Knights. Is what what they do sure, yeah. is they relaunch Daredevil as like a special title within Marvel. Yeah. Um, and it really is because it really becomes like, okay, this is the place where creators get to come in and have some freedom, have more of a creator own vibe, really get to sink in to a run as well. Like from, from the moment Smith and Quesada launch Guardian Devil in 1998, Daredevil is unquestionably Marvel's most consistent, interesting book yeah. for the, for the next 25 years. Um, again, I, even with that fallow period I mentioned, right? And it's like that Bendis and Malieve really kind of cement that by doing a massive run on it. And now it becomes a thing where creators now are, and, and that's, I mean, it's really kind of incredible when you're following a legend like a Frank Miller, right? And somebody who did a story as, as massive as Born Again, that you could step in and have a run that others coming in are going to have to compare themselves to. But that's yeah. what happens. And it and it, the cool thing about Daredevil is like, ask ten Daredevil fans, and Bendis and Malieve might be like their fifth favorite run, you know. Um, and that's how good the competition is, I think, around it. And we'll we'll of course get to that as we keep going forward with some of the newer stuff. Um, but before I heap too much praise on it, I do have to. We do have to talk about this first arc. Um, so this first arc is is called Decalogue, and it is it is supposed to be the so the l- last we saw. Of Matthew Murdoch, he has been outed in Dare- as Daredevil to the press and to the public, but he's denying it, right? And he's suing and countersuing and all that stuff. So the world like kind of knows Matt Murdoch is Daredevil, but also he's fighting it and pretending he's not. And the big thing that happened last we saw was Matt finally just lost it, beat the snot out of the kingpin, and declared himself the new kingpin of Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, and basically is like I run this, and there's this kind of this sense of like has he gone too far? Is he losing it again? How will this go? Um, there's kind of a time jump. And then in Decalogue, it's a one year later. And what is the premise is there's a group circle, sort of like an Alcoholics Anonymous group, that is getting together to talk about how Daredevil has influenced their lives. And it's supposed to sort of catch us up on what the last year of Daredevil is the Lord of King of Hell's Kitchen has, has gone. Yeah. Okay. First thought. Two two competing thoughts here. One, I love this structure as a way for Bendis and Malieve to do like 
weird one-off crime stories, you know, like almost like a Brubaker Phillips criminal with the occasional daredevil appearance. It's a really smart way to sort of get around and away from the standard Matt Murdock-focused Daredevil superhero comic. Two, my comp- the second competing thought, this does not effectively at all tell us what Daredevil has been doing <laughs> as the King of Hell's <laughs> Kitchen for the past year. I mean, <laughs> I don't think. There is like one or, two arcs be- one or two arcs between the two, right? Like between the moments uh, Matt declares himself as Kingpin and this. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a whole storyline with the like previous kingpin of New York City coming back and, and stuff like that. So we we like there ha- we just haven't read it. Maybe I, it's not an episode I was on. I, don't, I can't remember. Um, but there, there there are some issues between the two. Um, yeah, Decalogue is is interesting because it feels it feels weirdly experimental and kind of disconnected from Daredevil until it isn't. Like it feels kind of like a unrelated crime slash horror story. Um, yeah. Until it becomes like more about Daredevil and about what's been happening with him and with uh, with with Hell's Kitchen, um, yeah. And I, I, it's I don't know. I wasn't that interested in the separate storylines that were going on, like of each character uh-huh. in the group. It felt kind of confusing in some ways, um, in part because just Ben Stoke can can be a bit uh, hard to to follow sometimes. It's um, it's hot and heavy here too. Yeah. When you're talking, oh boy, yeah. you know, group circle, like just strangers having dialogue. Like if you're if you're on the fence about uh, you know Bendis at his his most dialogue heavy, like these yeah. are these are going to be rough. <laughs> like yeah. like there were definitely stretches where I yeah I'm I'm a proponent, you know I'm I am an advocate of it at at this point in time in Bendis' career, but there were definitely pages where I was just like, nope, <laughs> we're not doing yeah, that. Yeah, it's a bit too much. Um, but then I, I do like where it goes with Daredevil, specifically when it gets, once it gets to that of like him not knowing if he did the right thing and trying to, okay, you're the kingpin now, what does that mean? Are you trying yeah. to build something? Are you just still doing the same thing, but with a different place? There's a vacuum there. Um, it's... It's interesting. It's it feels like a weird choice for that to be the the not the last one, but the second to last uh, arc. It feels kind of unessential in some ways. Um, yeah, it, it feels more like a, an interesting experiment than anything else. It is, and I I kind of love it for that. Right, yeah. I love it for the structural experimentation. Again, just for I'm I'm pretty into any creator, but definitely creators that have you know, have built up some goodwill, um, yeah. taking the approach of like, we're going to take the superhero out of the story for a bit and see what we can do, you know? Cause it, it, uh, it like, it has Gotham central vibes. Um, it's also like, yeah. it's like, what if the Witcher was in Brubaker and Phillips criminal? You know, it's a very supernatural, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, there's, no, a, yeah, yeah. there's a creepy little succubus baby involved. Um, it's, it's not, it's strange for a Daredevil story. Certainly. You know, not that Daredevil's never dealt with magic and, you know, even weird baby talk is, you know, <laughs> Smith and Quesada do some of that in Guardian Devil. Um, but it's definitely creepy. Um, it gets eerie. I think Malieve sells kind of a grossness yeah. to it, which I enjoy. But it but it does, I think the problem that I have with it is in the experimentation, by the time kind of everything coalesces, it winds up just becoming a Daredevil on a mission story. Um, which is kind of what it was trying to work around, you know, and the mission itself is like, 
yeah, what if the jester got powers from a weird succubus baby? <laughs> it's like it's actually – it actually feels more aligned to some of their earlier Daredevil work where they're like doing, you know, a leapfrog story but with, you know, the the human element of he has a son and – you know what I mean? Like and kind of yeah, tapping yeah. into like the humanity of some of these D-list villains in the Daredevil's rogue gallery. Um, I, I don't know. It doesn't ever really – I think when I read this the first time, I was like, that was incredible it, just because of the chances it took. And I think when I read it now, I'm like, I still love the ambition, but it, the the amount of time it took to get there, yeah. you know, and the actual experience reading it, I don't think are fantastically successful. Um, but again, they built up a lot of goodwill, you know, in this run where I'm kind of like kind of willing to go with anything. Yeah, I mean, I do, I think my biggest disappointment is kind of what she said, it's that it kind of takes the place of an other arc that could have been there dealing more with, like, f- more fully with Daredevil's new role as the Kingpin. Yeah. Um, or just like, what does that mean? I, and is there anything there? Um, like, it, well, it feels like there could have been another story told in, in that place uh, before the ending. And um, I don't get the sense... Yeah. I don't get the sense that Bendis really knows what he wants that to mean. You know, like it's a really cool moment for Daredevil to standing over the Kingpin's, you know, unconscious body to be to declare himself the new Kingpin of Hell's Kitchen. But there's there's not these moments of like now Daredevil's behind a desk in a tower, (laughs) you know, running the cruise or whatever. It's mostly just him like like telling people to change their lives. Um, and to like to not do crime in Hell's Kitchen, which is what he did anyway. Like it's that's not any different to me, you know, than than what Daredevil's mission was previously. Like mostly yeah. what we see, like his vision of being Kingpin is punching a guy in the street and yelling, like yelling the crime at them that they did. Like that's it. <laughs> so like he's like punching a guy and he's like firing a gun in public. Like he just yells the crime they did. <laughs> <laughs> to make them feel badly about it while he's punching them. It's yeah. like that's that's what Daredevil always does, you know? Yeah, 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 no, that's that's true that it doesn't like it doesn't feel like there has been a change in dynamics or like in the way Hell's Kitchen is run, in the way in the way the world of Daredevil works. Um and it doesn't even feel like there's a, a Kingpin shaped hole because Kingpin is a presence throughout this comics. Yeah. yeah. Um so it, yeah, it, it it's kind of disappointing. It feels like there could have been like, I don't know, what one more year of story there uh, that it just isn't tapped into. And I wonder if there's like can kind of an editorial thing there of we can't let Daredevil go that far of being being the fully the kingpin and what that means. Like, but also it doesn't feel like the other de- de- decisions in the book have that restraint. So yeah, it's 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 interesting because I, definitely... I I've read that like. The so at the very very end of this, uh, Daredevil like Bendis leaves Daredevil in prison and like Bendis wasn't sure if he like didn't want to wasn't sure if he could do that at first because he didn't want to leave the toys broken for the ne- for the next writer. Right. And he right. only like he went through with it because Brubaker was like, oh yeah, that's that's a good idea. Uh, I can I, I can I can start with that. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if there's like other stuff that he didn't do just because of either editorial stuff or just him being afraid of breaking the toys. Uh, yeah, I do wonder too how much he's missing. feeling, how much he's feeling the clock, you know, here, yeah, like yeah, how yeah. much he's feeling like, well, I plan to get off this title and cause the, the second arc or the, the second half of this going through issue 81 benefits from that urgency, I think, 
where it's like, okay, now it's a rush to the finish line. And I think maybe if if the Decalogue era or this thing is more like, like let's say every issue is is one of these characters, but it's Daredevil from a position of King of Hell's Kitchen just solving like these one-off you know issues yeah. with each of these strangers, right? There's a way to structure it that's more like him lording over the city. I think maybe the problem then is then you have to untangle some of that as well, you know? Um, and maybe they just felt like, well, we just kind of don't have time to yeah. do that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of an interesting question because it is – it's a bold choice. But by the time you get to the back half of it, it's like – it is like, well, I kind of feel like we're – now we're just kind of stuck in this room <laughs> yeah, <laughs> telling yeah. stories. And there's a lot to do still. And then, and then you know, to their credit, I think Bendis and Malieve nailed the end of the run. I mean, I think the last story is like – it's kind of every big thing all at once. You know, like everything comes to a head. Yeah. They bring back everyone, you know, basically, right? We got Electra, we got Black Widow, we got Bullseye, Kingpin's pulling the strings. Um, there's not a lot more you could want for, you know, because the, the, like, the core of this story is Daredevil has been outed. Is that going to get him in trouble? Is he going to get caught, you know? And the Kingpin finally says, I've got these Murdoch papers. I will make a deal with the FBI. If you, you know, I'll give you these papers to nail Matt Murdock and you let me go, basically. Let me go live my life. Um, the coolest thing about that for the Kingpin is he doesn't actually have any Murdock papers. <laughs> it's yeah. revealed as the thing progresses that he never actually had the evidence that Matt Murdock, like he, he knows Matt Murdock is Daredevil. He's known that since Born Again, right? Um, but apparently he never actually, because it feels very believable that he would have accumulated the evidence, and frankly, not that, that difficult. But apparently, he never did. Um, instead, he's like, yeah, but I convinced everyone that I did have these, and I was going to make this deal, because I have Ben Urich reporting on it. And now, uh, Bullseye's going for them, and Daredevil just rushed out in the street, and FBI, now you have all the evidence you need. <laughs> he's like, now, in the process of lying to you, I've given you the case against Matt Murdock. It's a, it's a pretty great Kingpin scheme, I think. What do you think all that? Yeah, um... I think the murder papers thing is what's kind of maybe not confusing but kind of disappointing to me. Just yeah. like that's the name of the arc I was expecting. Like, okay, that's the center point. That's I don't know. I was expecting there to be something more there, and f it felt so nebulous and so fast. Like, no, no it's it's not actually a thing. Um, like, it didn't feel like the arc was that much about that. I, I don't yeah. know. I think I was expecting the kind of like uh, a full arc of uh, of courtroom drama. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, which okay. we do get okay. earlier in the run, right? Like, and I think it's some some of the best parts of the run. Um, and yeah, I guess maybe just kinda, I had to realign my my expectations a bit. You um, wanted you wanted the actual like here are the papers and now here's the legal battle. I mean, kind of because like the so the the stakes here are, I guess, definitive proof that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. But yeah. like it would have helped to to narrow that down to a specific thing, I guess, um, rather than just a nebula nebulous like Murdoch papers of like tons of like he doesn't even call that evidence. He just as like oh, it's tons of stuff about Matt Murdoch, and like yeah. I don't know, it's missing some specificity of like footage. I don't know of a specific video of him beating up Kingpin without his mask on or something. I don't know. Um, it, it, it becomes. Kind of it's nebulous. very uh it's very Marvel like artifacty, 
right? Yeah. Like it's the Murdoch papers are like the Infinity Stones or something, where it's just, <laughs> it's just like kind of. No, I see what you mean. Yeah, it's, like, like it's just the... like this, this magical thing, and if yeah. you have it, you know, which which again is kind of the I think why it's actually a better turn the way the story's done to say they don't exist. Yeah, because yeah. I think if they did, it would be like well, like you have no specificity around what's actually in these. But even documents. then, I'm like, what? I don't know. It, it doesn't feel big enough compared to yeah we we they already know Matt is the the king like the only thing big thing here that changes is the FBI getting some actual maybe evidence i don't know it feels it feels kind of to me it kind of l- let's go of the thread of um i don't it, it kind of felt too easy like this yeah this was already kind of happening and we have to make it happen again but this time for real um, it, it felt kind of repetitive of stuff that had happened earlier. Just, well, this time it's the end, so this time it actually matters. Right. Um, like, it feels like this could have been what happens the first time Matt gets outed. Totally. Um, in some ways. Um, so it, it just felt like, I don't think the arc was bad in really. It just felt, it just felt like it was in a weird place of the run, right? It didn't feel different enough, at least to me, from the, the initial outing of, uh, of Matt. Yeah, and I think um, if you really yeah. pull at it too, it's like like a huge part of Kingpin's plan here is like now Daredevil was bleeding at the scene of a crime. So if you ca- if you check that blood, it'll match Matt Burdock's. Yeah. It's like the FBI never found, they never thought to look <laughs> at a Daredevil scene. Because <laughs> I guarantee yeah, yeah. you his blood was there, right? Yeah, <laughs> Matt Murdock yeah. takes hits. There's I mean, it's, blood, it's, like, a weird, it's a weird always superhero thing of like, yeah, the authorities that, investigate superheroes are nev- can never be that com- competent because like yeah. any actual police force could <laughs> find out the identity of any superhero. Well, and I think that's part honest. of the problem. That's part of the problem without in general, right? Is it, uh, to your point, like they could have and probably would have gotten him immediately. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's It's purely for drama and for narrative sake that it's dragged out as long yeah. as it is, yeah. you know? Um, and you know, it's like, if you actually break it down, the reason he's caught now is because it's the end. (laughs) Like that's the reason it's not because (laughs) it's any more or less well thought out, I suppose. Um, so I, I I hear that, I hear that criticism. I think for me, it is just kind of like what I like about it a lot is it's like, you just, you don't have anywhere else to go. Like you don't, you know, I think Bendis has been doing and Malieve have been doing this, this high wire act since they had Daredevil outed. And it's like, if you, because I think when you say then, like, oh, you're going to go for 40 issues with this? How are you going to retain that drama? How are you going to drag that out this long and not be annoying about it? And I actually don't, I don't find it annoying. I don't find it tedious. Um, It's kind of this, this pressure that is lingering the whole time, but it kind of ties into like Matt's, you know, mental health like breakdowns and just like the fact that he's a lawyer and it being in the legal system and tied up like it kind of works um you know just add that layer to me it's missing some impact because of kind of what we talked about earlier from like the earlier arc missing that weight of the of like what it means for Matt to be the kingpin like what does that change in his relationship to to being a vigilante to the law to to health kitchen and I think having that like be explored more and more in depth would yeah. have given more weight to to this actual change of him like 
being investigated and being found out and being being arrested. Right. Because um, I don't feel like yeah. I don't feel like that really comes up at all. Yeah. In the final six issues, like it's not what what kind of happens is Hell's Kitchen is kind of just enjoying Daredevil as their hero more. Like instead, yeah. there's more of that kind of classic like the community now appreciates you turn, but. Yeah. It kind of should be the opposite. Like, like if Daredevil declares himself the kingpin, that should mean he's had to take on more of a dark, a darker role. But really, it's more just like he's more Daredevil. <laughs> like <Yeah>. he's <laughs> he's just more of the standard mission. So yeah, I, I don't think that ever really. Again, really cool, like page, but I don't think it ever really pays off. Um, but again, I do like it, it. Is I mean, there's definitely a strong sense of like oh, this is ending and everything's happening, right? Yeah. Like, every character comes back. Matt's estranged wife, Mila, which is, like, I think if you if you just pulled at the Mila threads, like, read it through that perspective of, like, what? It's, like, did Bendis just, like, forget about her for a while? <laughs> like, <laughs> like what, what was the, what are we actually doing here, you know, with that yeah. character? I, I think there's a lot of holes. Um, but when you're just kind of caught up in the moment and the action of it, and I think Believe sells it fantastically, then it's just, like, Okay, everyone's here. Yeah, Bullseye's here. He's gonna kill people. Uh, it's dangerous. It's deadly. Let's go. I, I do want to call out one thing that this uh, that I was reminded of in this that is not like super Daredevil specific, but um, Black Widow's involved, and because she has a you know long ties to Daredevil, romantic relationship, etc. Once shared a title with him in the 1970s, written by Steve Gerber, kind of interesting comics. Um, she goes to Shield, and she's like, "Hey, I'm Black Widow." Uh, y- y'all might know me. <laughs> I've, done, I've done some work, and I'd like you to squash this reporting that that Matt Murdock is Daredevil, right? Like she wants, she wants that press killed, basically. Maybe, maybe literally, pr- probably not. And but she's telling this to Maria Hill, who is post Secret War, post Bendis New Avengers, is the new director of Shield, and I I am struck constantly by how deliberately Bendis makes Maria Hill so unlikable. Like, like there is never <laughs> yeah. a moment where he has a Maria Hill scene where th- there is not, like, an active effort to make her semi-villainous. You know, like, she is always in a- antagonistic with the heroes, you know? And I feel like it's this weird thing where it's a really cool idea, actually, to create a new character, a young woman, to take over as the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Instead of, you know, what the traditional Marvel play would have been is like, well, now Dum-Dum's in charge while Nick's on the lam, but he's kind of a Nick Fury acolyte. Like, it's actually cool to have S.H.I.E.L.D. turn hands, I think, and to be in a different position. And I'm not opposed to, like, the director having a commanding presence and being like, yeah, we're not going to play these games with heroes anymore, right? And more of a POV. But it's But instead, it just becomes this cameo of, like, Maria Hill slander. <laughs> like, I just, I do feel like every time this character shows up, she is just made to be the worst. Um, yeah. And it feels kind of like, it just feels weird. It's like, why why create this character then? Why even do this? You know, oh, it's just me, so slanted. I actually really appreciate having S.H.I.E.L.D. not be the, like, magical support, support of the heroes anymore and yeah. be more, like, more of an antagonistic force, uh, like, neutral to antagonistic. To me, that's... I don't know. That's always a more interesting place for Shield to me, um, like because I I never quite buy because I think more the more Marvel 
uh, modernizes, the more S.H.I.E.L.D. becomes less James Bond and more actual CIA, right? Yeah. Um, and with that, you have to kind of like, yeah, they can't be, that can't be just the buddies of the superheroes, right? Not the guys they play poker with. Like, there has to be more tension and more antagonism yeah. there. So actually, I actually quite appreciate that she's, like, she's unlikable. I like her being unlikable, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, um, I think, I I hear what you're saying, but I just, I think there's something missing in terms of, like, yeah. like, her, mean, more like her vision. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the characterization of it. Because I think if you if you get just a few scenes spread out here of her kind of explaining why, you know, this is the position. And yeah. like, yeah. And because and, it's not the antagonism to the, the vigilantes that I have an issue with, you know, it's the, it's just every scene is here's big mean Maria. I feel like, um, I don't, it's just a weird way to introduce yeah. a new character. I wouldn't mind it so much. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess I just in, and she does it here a little bit with black widow. You know, she kind of points out like, you know, I'm not Nick Fury. Um, but I feel like it's kind of essential there to highlight, like, yeah, Nick Fury's like a wanted war criminal right now. Like, <laughs> sure, <laughs> it's yeah. a good thing not to be Nick Fury, you know? Um, I just, yeah, I, because I, I want to be more on Maria's side in retrospect. Yeah. And I just, I was reminded reading these, I was like, yeah, when I read these the first time, like, I just, I was just always like, like, oh, this, like, this writer hates this character, um, which I don't think is the case now. No, yeah. You know, I wouldn't actually attribute that to, like, I mean, it's, and it's his character, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's strange. I will say Bendis isn't the best writer of female characters, at least at this point. I mean, that's probably um, part of it. Yeah. Elektra and, and Black Widow, like, essentially catfighting over Matt in this right. is pretty annoying. That's, that's Those characters can be more interesting than that. We don't have to have them be, like, just sexy but like at one point they're literally called background singers to to daredevil yeah she's like and Maliv Maliv like kind of draws them to just be like hanging out sexily in the backgrounds where they're there that's kind of all they're doing which is kind of disappointing it feels like i know there there's a more like and their relationships get explored at some point like in the fake uh, fake going forward of uh, of uh, Mila dying and and Matt's meeting with Electra like there's some more weight more depth to that to that relationship like yeah. for a lot of that final arc it's just like sexy Black Widow and sexy Electra hanging out yeah uh, totally and, like fighting over Matt which is okay that's it's tw- two th- I know it's 2006 but yeah kind of what well, is I mean it is like literally all of like all of Matt's sex life comes back for his yeah. final moments yeah, <laughs> before yeah. like it's like before these conjugal visits they're all they're all here ready to help Matt um but not not a heck of a lot i guess black widow has i don't know i feel like that is a that's a really ambitious thing to try to take on is to do electric comes back and black widow comes back yeah you know cuz they they both they have similar relationships with Matt you know in some ways but so they like they're both overlapping, but then kind of at odds with each other. Um, you you just to find the space to give both of them enough to do, plus yeah. everything else going on, plus it's a Ben Urich story, plus you got Milla back. You know, it is like it's just everything hitting the fan all at once. Which again, like I think in the read through, like in the urgency of it, is appealing. Um, but yeah, when you start to kind of pull back, it's like 
Yeah, there's too much. Yeah. <laughs> there's too much yeah, happening yeah, yeah. here. It could have been stretched out a bit. Which, I mean, I don't know, I wonder if there's a version of this that was supposed to happen right after the initial, like, outing. And, but because of, like, I don't know, either because the book was successful and, or, like... Bendis and, and Maliva were like, oh, we can we can do more of this because of it's it's working well, right? Sure. Like they stretch it out. I wonder if there's like there was some structural change to the to the initial story that was made, and then yeah. they came to this point was like, oh, we we still have a lot a lot of stuff to <laughs> to do that we we haven't had the time to. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it is like a pretty packed uh, final arc, and I think in some ways, like I said, that's exciting. That's that's that helps, um, and I and I think like. Page to page, right? It's I, th- I do definitely think that it, it is a very successful story and ending to this arc. I just think, like big picture, I think it is uh, kind of symptom- symptomatic of um, yeah, I don't know, structural like story, uh, problems in the the actual structure of the run. Um, I'd be interested to to read it like more in one go because it's been like I don't know, we like in recording time we started this maybe a year ago the Bendis run. Mm, um, yeah. So it's been a while uh, since I read the the initial arcs. So I, yeah, I'd, I'd be curious reading this all kind of at once. I definitely uh, enjoyed it. Better. You know, as a massive binge. I mean, yeah. it was one of the earlier, one of the earlier Marvel Unlimited binges that I did. Yeah. I think as a, as a newcomer coming into Marvel and like I was just enthralled. You know, absolutely love it. And it, you know, I've talked about this before too. But like, I do love, I love Bendis's command of the Marvel universe. I love how. There's no ingredient that he won't play with in the pages yeah. of Daredevil. Even and, and there's some cool like just little stuff like, you know, so Luke and, and Danny, Luke and Iron Fist, right? Kind of working as like helping out as like bodyguards essentially. Like protection for Matt and Foggy and stuff. But just like the way Alex Maleev draws Iron Fist in his costume in broad daylight with yeah, no one else in costume, and he just looks like such an idiot. <laughs> like <laughs> I love that detail because it really highlights like like, there's just a certain realism that comes through yeah. when it's like, oh, yeah, somebody wearing, like, you know, their pajamas like that. They look crazy, <laughs> you know? Yeah, even Electra being essentially in, like, just a string and a bra. It's yeah. Like, yeah, that's that stands out. It's it's kind of strange. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't, superhero costumes don't fit his art, but, like, in a good way, if that makes yeah. sense. Right? Um, I do feel like Maliv's yeah. pretty good at sensuality without being leering. Too. Yeah, sure. Um, which For is the a most parts. Yeah, I, I, I not per. Listen, it's it's two thousand five. Like we have not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not sure. Out it's not French show, but, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's better at it. Let's say that than yeah. than some of his peers. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about the last issue then. So this ends with um, Daredevil's. You know, he's caught. He he's given up to the FBI. Um, this kind of semi-corrupt director is kind of has a choice. To uh, he's like, we can either keep the kingpin in jail, but we can't. We know we're not going to be able to get him to stay in jail because nothing we have can stick. Which is like, I don't need specificity on that. That's the kingpin. That's his deal. Sure, right? No case will hold against him. Um, so he's like, all right. So we could do that and do the right thing, or we can arrest Matt, where we actually maybe have the evidence now, and we can put the quote unquote hero in jail instead. Um, so he goes that route. They go to arrest Matt Murdock. Uh, he's gonna arrest everyone else there, like Luke Cage, Danny Rand, all them. But then Black Widow just like whispers in his ear, like "Don't." So he doesn't, <laughs> um, which is <laughs> which much. is a good Black Widow moment. Uh, so Matt is arrested. He's going to jail, and or we'll see. And then uh, the one of my favorite twists. I like all the Kingpin twists. There's a twist here yeah. where Kingpin thinks he's getting the deal. 
He thinks he's just going to walk. And then the FBI director is like, no, you're under arrest for new crimes committed after our deal where somebody came forward and said you tried to have somebody killed. It's the owl. The owl finally gets his revenge from prison yeah. by confessing to uh, a murder that he witnessed Wilson Fisk commit, which is which is great. That's a nice touch, it's a nice callback fun, yeah. to how involved the owl. So now you have Kingpin and Matt heading for prison. And uh, the final issue, the very final issue, Charlotte, what did you make of this having not read it before? Oh, wait, did I miss an issue? Wait. So is, issue 81, where yeah. there's the uh, Matt, Matt is in court and Foggy looks at him and he's like, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then he makes a break for it. Oh, I, yeah. Okay. The flash, the flash forward thing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It, it felt too quick to be true. Like it jumps forward in time really, really quick. Yeah. Um, with them, so, like, so you knew pretty quickly, like, okay, this is obviously yeah, not happening. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, although, because it goes for I, like fourteen pages, like it goes for a while. That's true. I knew something was strange. Like it felt unreal, but also yeah. like it's also like a very strange situation for for the book. Um, I think after that, uh, Bullseye kills M- Mia Mila. I can never remember what her name is. Oh, that could go either way. I, I always say Mila, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, when when Bullseye kills her, I was like, okay, either this is like a very annoying decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Or it's fake. Um, but like, I wouldn't like for this to be a trend that like every uh, Daredevil girlfriend that isn't a Sparrow gets killed after after a run. By uh, Bullseye specifically, yeah. By Bullseye specifically. Um, that's like, oof, not, not great. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that something was up at that point. It's it's interesting. It's interesting, definitely, because I can't. I could see a version of this run that ends with like the the Dark Knight Rises ending of like it's just Matt and Mila in Paris, like on a holiday and not in secret identities. Yeah, and that's that's the ending of those characters for now. Like that's that's not a bad. That's not an uninteresting uh, ending. I think. It doesn't feel impossible, and I think yeah. part of part of why it kind of works, and why there is that little bit of like, oh, is this is this happening? No, this isn't happening. Wait, no, he's still going. Is this really happening? Um, part of why that works is a, a superhero actually ending up in jail does not feel especially plausible. <laughs> like that's not that's not a thing that Marvel really yeah. commits to, right? We haven't like you get it with the Punisher, right? But it's like, well, the Punisher belongs in jail. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's like with other heroes, has that historically like ever happened for any Ooh, consistent period of time? You know, yeah. just off the top of my head, it's, you know, so it, I, that feels almost as unlikely as what happens in the flash forward, which is Matt running away with Mila, um, eventually bullseye killing her and then him going to Elektra and kind of hiding out with her. The, it, what, there's a certain point of progression where it's like, well, clearly we've hit a point of no return and we're just doing a what if, which is what yeah. this is. And I, I just think it's a, I actually like it kind of a lot as a, well, here's the what if of the version of events that we're not doing, but we're kind of going to commit to it more heavily than you'd think. You know, it's not two pages and then we're back in the courtroom. And I like, think it helps the decision, like Matt's decision feel more, like I don't know, clearer and more... Yeah. More complicated, but also weighty um, than if it was just like the the straight up normal scene. Like, yeah, we, you've made that decision before of pleading not guilty and, and of saying it's not you. But like here we're seeing his thought process of, okay, what happens if I escape, if I like 
just admits to the world. Right. Um, and like, yeah, knowing that he's trapped, he, that there isn't actually a way out. Um, that's, I, I think that like, it's, it's a pretty stacked arc and a lot of stuff would have needed more room to breathe, but I don't think it's a mistake to have given that much room to that storyline and to that scene. Cause I, th- I think it's one of the most interesting, like, it's really, really interesting to have that right before he like, and I think like right before he goes to jail and he, we see him in the flash forwards and then we don't see him anymore, essentially, like outside of just the verdict and him, uh, one or two images of him in prison. Yeah. Like, that's the actual ending of him in this book is the flash forward and then him in prison. Yeah. Um, which I think is really interesting. Right. No, I mean, everything is, everything else is, is other characters and other stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and again, I do think it is, I think creatively, I don't know, it's a little hard because it's like Brubaker and Michael Lark come on for the next arc. They're a great creative team and I won't spoil anything that happens, but it's when you know what, what is coming and you know it works, it's easier to say it's a great idea, you know? Um, yeah. But I do think at a minimum, it is a unique idea in Marvel to actually have all of this finally end with Matt getting caught and and having to do time for it. And then you have Wilson Fisk caught and going to the same place. And you have all these people that Matt put away. Like, I just think that is kind of inherently... It's, set, it's creatively more interesting yeah. to be like, well, what would that look like? How would that play out? We really haven't seen that Marvel story before. So give somebody the opportunity to to actually tell it because we haven't seen it done. And I guess I'm always into that premise. I am interested in the concept of like, you know, because we saw with Grant Morrison on New X-Men where it's like, you have the creator who's like, hey, I, I destroyed everything. Good luck to the next guy. <laughs> you know, good, yeah. good luck to the next creative team. Um, I'm interested in, in Abendis being like, well, I talked to Ed. And he felt okay, you know, like the the opposite approach of like, yeah. let me set you up, um, which obviously seems friendlier, but not necessarily creatively richer, you know. Um, but it's I I think in this case it it works for all parties. So I mean I I really really enjoy this run. Um, I think a huge part of that is Malieve. I just I always really love Malieve style. I think you know the way that he can go from gross creepy succubus baby and selling the horror of that to Danny Rand wearing his nighties in broad daylight, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, just kind of the versatility of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I'm a huge fan of this run. I think, again, we talked through the, there's definitely, there's definitely things you can pull apart, I think. Um, but we only do that, I think, because we're reading it closely and want it yeah. to work, you know? And it, yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, Malib is really interesting because he, I don't, the, he helps the book not lose track of still being a superhero book. I think yeah. like it definitely hits that balance um, of being anchored in realism or like in that crime polar noir like um, noir aesthetic and 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 themes um, while still having like I don't know the 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 way he draws Daredevil is the perfect blend of superhero like outfits and very realistic like he doesn't feel out of place in the same way Iron Fist does. Um, yeah, it, yeah, and and even the more mystical magic uh, horror with the with the demon baby is like, ooh, that's that that <laughs> that's not great. That that didn't make me feel great. <laughs> yeah, right. Demon baby, someone puking the demon baby. Um, no, he's he's really really good at this. I'm 
I'm curious about what else those two do together because I knew mm-hmm. I know at least one other thing. I mean, I feel like they do a bunch of other stuff together, um, but I don't know how successful it is without that specific Daredevil tone. Yeah, there's there's one other Marvel thing. Actually, there's a, there's a couple other Marvel things. Yeah, I'm thinking of one immediately after this and another one in 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I won't even. I won't even say what they are because it can be yeah. mildly spoiler. The one that's not spoilery is they do a Moon Knight run that gets overlooked all the time. Oh right, yeah. Um, which I that was coming out right when I started like collecting comics, so it was like some of like the first print issues I owned, and I I, <laughs> I still have really fond memories of that run. I don't think it's super well regarded, and we could talk about why maybe when we get there. Yeah. Um. Okay. So Daredevil, I'm. It's still a read it all for me. I think if you're coming in at the end here, this is I recommend reading every issue. And uh, it's going to stay a read at all for a while because we got Ed Brubaker and Michael Lark coming up. We are going to read their first arc in part two of 2006. Nice. I'm, I'm actually really curious to reread that run specifically because I remember the first arc very clearly. And then I remember not liking it as much in Brubaker and Malieve and kind of like trailing off. So I don't know that I read every issue before. I'm... I know, I think it's the, the Daredevil run, like at least the critically acclaimed Daredevil run, I know the least about. Like, yeah. The Wade run, I know some stuff about. The Zdalski run, the mo- most recent one, I know stuff about as well. The, yeah, that that one, Brubaker, I, like, I, I feel like uh, a, f- a few months ago, I didn't even know Brubaker had done a, a Daredevil run. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about, I'm excited, I'm especially excited about it's like, given the ending of the Bendis run, which yeah. isn't something I usually feel. Like, usually when I'm, like, really happy with a run and how it ends, I'm like, okay, uh, now I need a breather, right? I Like, it mm. feels like I am I can only be disappointed by the next run. Um, but here it feels like it, it ends in such an interesting place that I'm like, yeah, I want to see, like, part two, right? Uh, and, like, someone else pick up uh, pick up the pieces. So, yeah. It I'm, is I'm also... Really it's pretty rare that we get... A, like we get a successful creative team conclusion on a long run and then immediately keep it going. Yeah. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, like I guess if you counted the Smith Casada stuff, I guess that's kind of just Daredevil almost unbroken. Um, but it's not Plus really the same the, thing. Max stuff as well. Yeah. Cause I don't know. Just think about the best runs of the 2000s so far, right? New X-Men, obviously that doesn't happen. Fantastic Four with Wade and Waringo. I don't think that quite happens. Yeah. Um, does, I don't know, it's a weird comparison, but does Hickman X-Men into Gillen and Ewing X-Men counts? <laughs> I don't think it does. I. Yeah. It's like spiritually, yes, but it's not the same title, technically. Sure. yeah. You know, um, which is... Which is an argument for another day, Charlotte. Don't get me started. <laughs> Sorry. How <laughs> <laughs> dare you. Fair All right. Enough. Let's talk about our second series we read here today, Black Panther, 2005, issues one to six. We got Reginald Hudlin writing. We got John Romita Jr., who I, I had completely forgotten this was Romita Jr. Um, he takes a lot of flack in 2023 for just being, for having done it for so long, you know, and people, you do anything long enough, people are going to have, you're going to have vocal critics who just are tired of your style or whatever. Yeah. Um, man, Ramita Jr. has an incredible legacy. Like, just, like, especially in this early 2000s, I'd forgot, like, Amazing Spider-Man is fantastic with JMS, right? We like a lot of that stuff with with school teacher Pete. Yeah. And, uh, and then this Black Panther, like, 
this Black Panther arc is fascinating. I, I had forgotten so much about this. Um, so it's six issues that we read here. This is the Who is the Black Panther story arc. It is often referenced as like a go-to for kind of the modern beginnings. You know, it's because it's like, it's actually a lot like Miller and, and Ramita Jr.'s Man Without Fear for Daredevil, but, yeah. but weirder and wilder because it's like, it is a, it's a retelling of the origins, but in like, kind of the zaniest, almost like MCU-ified way, you know? Like, and Hudlin has, like, strong Hollywood credentials, right? So, like, Hudlin comes into comics, you know, and he's, like, this is a film producer and director, you know? Like, that is his background. Um, he's got ties to Milestone Comics. I don't know how much with the original he's involved. I just can't remember. But I know with the relaunch, he's been strongly involved. Um, but he comes into Black Panther here and like, it, it definitely feels like a vision for, Hey, if you got to do a Black Panther origin movie, how would you do it? You know, except the weird thing is like, it's in continuity <laughs> and like, it's a part of the shared universe and it's coming off the priest run, you know, which like goes a little too long, but like a beloved Black Panther run and has, yeah. and has T'Challa, you know, well established as the King of Wakanda. And then all of a sudden we're reading this and it's like. Wait, is he is he becoming king again? What's happening? I, what did you think of this, Charlotte? <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> I'm currently realizing it was a prequel. <laughs> okay, yeah. I didn't get because I'd forgotten. I mean, it's been a few months since I. It's read. not clear about that. Yeah, yeah, because it's been a few months since I read the priest, uh, the priest stuff. So, like, I didn't quite remember if he was actually king in that, or if he was just like prince or something, and his uncle was regent, uh, like. So I and like we've never met Shuri before, right? Like it no, this does, is Shuri's debut. Yeah, yeah. So like it felt like a progression. It didn't feel like a flashback. Yeah, uh, in a lot of ways, like it almost feels like retconning in some ways. It is, yeah. Like doesn't doesn't he meet his mother for the first time in like jungle action, right, or something like that? Oh, is that true? I don't. I don't even remember now. I think yeah. So. And or like his stepmother, I, I can't remember. But it, like it felt like rewriting history in a lot of ways. And I, I don't know. I don't hate it, right? I don't hate <laughs> yeah. the approach of being like, hey, no one's, no one in two thousand six has read those comics, right? They're not easily accessible, like the history of Black Panther comics. Um, so like it's, it feels more malleable uh, than other other characters, and. Um, yeah, I, I don't hate the approach, especially as I think it's pretty successful here. Like you yeah. said, like it does work as the kind of blockbuster approach of retelling Black Panther's origin. Like it feels, in some ways, it feels like uh, this could be an early draft of the MCU Black Panther movie. Totally. Right? Like it has a lot of things in common with it. Yeah. Um, well, and like the first issue makes pretty uh, significant strides into establishing like the history of Wakanda. Right. Yeah. So like before we get to T'Challa specifically, you know, it's talking about this legacy of Wakanda and how it's never been invaded and how it's been chasing off invaders for centuries, you know, um, through all variations of technology and developments and these sorts of things. It's even got a sequence of a Black Panther in the 40s, you know, whooping uh, Captain America. Right. And so it's got this like kind of like centuries long, but very quickly done history of Wakanda. And then it also is rebuilding like the sequence of T'Challa 
you know, fighting to become the Black Panther. Like, he's just a prince, and he fights his uncle after his father's been killed by... Is he even still killed by Claw? I don't... It's like... <laughs> like yeah, everything, everything is kind of up in the air, and it, it definitely is... It's a story that doesn't... I don't know that it doesn't care, but it definitely is not worried about being like, well, we know you saw this sequence in Fantastic Four number, uh, you know, 54 or whatever, um, and here's how we're going to you know, reinvent that specifically. It's kind of just like, no, I'm just going to kind of re-update this. And I think if you're if you're a Black Panther continuity hound, it's like disorienting, you know? It's like, it feels almost like an Elseworlds kind of thing. Because it's like, some of the stuff you can literally just be like, no, that's not how it happened. Um, but I Which, don't think this creative team is worried about that. It's almost surprising that this isn't Ultimate Black Panther, right? Yeah. A oh, man, yeah should have existed and didn't exist and this is doing like kind of an alternative origin of Black Panther so it's yeah weird that that's not what's happening here um yeah it's and I wonder how future writer recon- future writers of Black Panther reconcile the two right um if if they do which I don't even know um I think yeah, the interesting it's, it's interesting it is I, I think the interesting thing about it is like Hudlin stays on the title for a good long while yeah so as far as how it's reconciled, it's like, well, as far as the writer is concerned, this is now his jumping pad. I think, to your initial point, I think it's just not clear enough yeah. that it's a prequel. <laughs> like, yeah. I think it just, it needed to be that Daredevil Man Without Fear kind of limited series type launch into a run. Because, so it, it's, you know, it establishes like, oh, T'Challa had a sister. And I had to look up. I was like, did Shuri, is Shuri like in jungle action? And I just wasn't paying attention. No, no, no. You know, and she's like referenced. It's like, no, she she is never, she's created here by Hudlin and John Romita Jr. Shuri's obviously a huge player in Black Panther comics and, and the MCU, you know, at this point. Um, so stuff like that gets added and it's like, well, that's hugely additive and invaluable and fantastic. Uh, but then you also have just this weirdness of, you know, Claw assembling like a Masters of Evil, basically. That includes Rhino <laughs> and Batrock and uh, Radioactive Man gets shilled in out of nowhere. And this weird cannibal character who gets a lot of time early and then not enough time later. And w- when you just read these six issues, it's like, why Why did that character exist? Um, yeah, it feels like there's like, is, is there any kind of like mystery to them in relations or are they just there? <laughs> They're just there by the end, okay. I think. But I guess uh, they're I guess they have a presence where it's like, well, if I keep reading, maybe that character will come up again. Yeah. Um because Cannibal, their deal is they uh they like, you know, they they're like a parasite, you know, they they consume a host body. You know, invasion of the body snatchers kinda super villain. Um they're creepy and it seems like they're gonna be like kind of the main villain of the story. because uh, there's this really extended early sequence where they take the body of a what, a sex worker. Um and uh, but then it's like by the end it's like well that wasn't the point <laughs> we had yeah. to do all oh you also get a black knight you get an evil black knight who's like on a religious crusade there's just so much happening yeah uh, there's a lot of, and then and then you also have you also have Hudlin doing kind of the most interesting and bold stuff with like the United States government's reaction to Wakanda and and their sense that like there might be an opportunity to get in there and get some intel. You have Everett Ross involved, who seems to know about Wakanda from the priest yeah, run. That's what I. But then this is a prequel, confused, so how right? do you know? I feel like he. Okay, so this is Everett Ross post priest Black Panther, right? Nope, it isn't. Apparently. I don't know that that works at all. You yeah. know, 
because that it does feel like okay well this is an extension of that run nope it's not um but you have a the one of the craziest things Hudlin and Remy to do here is the U.S. is like all right so Wakanda's being invaded by this weird claw masters of evil um we're going to use that as an opportunity to quote unquote help them but to get in there and you know get info get technology right really kind of sinister behavior but the that's not even the most sinister part there's the reveal here that apparently the united states have been converting their dead soldiers into deathlocks yep and an army of death like this is like kind of scathing political satire and hudlin just whips it out in like the fifth issue <laughs> as like as like the c plot you know i mean even even black knight is like he doesn't make any effort to be like, okay, no, this is a distinct Black Knight from yeah. this, that of the Avengers. Like, I'm guessing it is, but that's not made clear by well, the because there was there was a bad like, guy Black Knight. There yeah. was that. There was the original bad guy Black Knight from the Masters of Evil. So it's not Dane Whitman. Oh, it's not the yeah, one who becomes sure. a good guy. I don't think. Yeah, but even that bad guy Black Knight isn't like some kind of crazy like Catholic crusader. Um, but, like, I kind of appreciate it, like, him just playing around with those elements of the Marvel yeah. Universe and not being, like, precious about them, um, I think is really fun. And, like, like he, like, it's a pretty bold stance to be like, yeah, the, the U.S. are going to try to invade Black uh, Wakanda in my book and not going to be partially discreet about that. Um, and not be like, oh, no, it's, like, rogue elements of the United States. No, it's essentially the president's right isn't yeah. like isn't there one scene where the president's like yes we're gonna send those desktop to invade uh i mean help wakanda and it's like okay yeah go ahead <laughs> totally um, that's 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 kind of cool um and it it feels in a lot of ways like a i don't know it yeah you can feel that it's a black writer writing this like and it doesn't feel like um um, lessened, or not lessened, but like quieted down by the Marvel machine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is like nice to see. It feels, it feels like uh, unusual for for Marvel, um, like in in the relationships between Wakanda and uh, and America and the interactions between the characters. Yeah, um, like it opens on a meeting at the White House and like one senator or something saying like some awful racist shit about uh, about uh, about Wakanda and there's right. like one other advice of the character of the president there that is black and like like oh no no I don't mean you obviously and it's like making fun of those guys in in in, uh, in kind of fun ways and like pretty real ways right uh, of the absurdity of their of their political stance and racism um yeah it's it's really interesting and there was there was an novel. interesting letter act they do include the letters on these issues and it's yeah. like the third or fourth issue somebody some white guy <laughs> takes issue <laughs> clearly with with that particular sequence and kind of hudlin's general stance that you know the 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 that there could be racists within the white house essentially you know um but that they would be so openly racist they were like well that's not believable nobody would say something like that Kind of thing, and Hudlin has an interesting. It very much feels like you know the kind of interactions you could hear today, right? In this this sense yeah. of like, well, no racism ended in the '60s, like like that, right? That never happens. And Hudlin being like, well, as a black man, let me tell you some of my experiences, <laughs> yeah. um, because you don't know, 
And uh, it is I, it is one of those things where I'm like, yeah, it does feel ham-fisted, um, but we just had a sitting U.S. president refer to African nations as shitholes. So maybe yeah. it's not ham-fisted enough, you know? Um, so uh, that that is, whether you believe it or not, the tone and the point of view is definitely pro-Wakanda <laughs> and very skeptical and cynical of a U.S. that, as this yeah. is written, is invading Iraq. And and it's pretty clear that, like, the premise of, you know, stopping Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destructions was built on on lies and that there were some ulterior motives at play, right? Like, yeah. that is increasingly creeping into the public consciousness, certainly by the time this is coming out, and Hudlin is not shying away from that. Um, what do you think overall about this approach of, like, ultimate universifying but within 616? Because I – when I read this, I'm not like horribly bothered by it, you know, but if I read in like the next X-Men run in 2024 and it was just like completely like doing its own thing yeah. and just like completely ignoring the continuity, I would I would probably lose my mind. You but know? I think the difference is Black Panther hasn't had that history uh, so far and especially that history of big runs, right? Um, like, it's missing that, I don't know, like, when have we seen Black Panther's origin so far? Like, Fantastic Four? And, like, maybe one or two retellings in Jungle Action? Or, I don't know if Christopher, Christopher Priest does any flashback stuff there? I mean, like, the, the origins are pretty famous, though, because it is in the Lee, like, one some of the most interesting Lee Kirby, you know, that, that stretch there is, like, right after the coming of Galactus, in between yeah. this man, this monster. I still remember the image of young T'Challa holding a giant Jack Kirby gun and blasting off Claw's hand. <laughs> like, that's, that's yeah. like, cemented in my brain. So I actually think of them as, I know what you mean, right? It's not Spider-Man, where it's replayed 7,000 times a day or whatever, right? But it's, I actually think it's kind of foundational. <laughs> and to, like, totally upend that is is pretty wild. But is that, because I, I, honestly, it's been, it's been a while since I read those early uh, Lee Kirby issues. Those, like... Is this supposed to be a retelling of the exact same time period, or doesn't the Fantastic Four stuff happen after this? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure, that's the thing. Enough. Is like I needed, and maybe maybe someone will be listening to this and just losing their mind, being like, "Oh my gosh, it said right here, you know, exactly when this is supposed to be." But I had the feeling reading it of just like, I actually, I think the way you put, the way you put it of being an Ultimate Universe book is perfect to me because it's like as an Ultimate Universe book. This that's what this feels like. It feels like Ultimate Black Panther. It's just incredibly weird to read it post priest, two thousand five, but with I Black also, Panther like doing well because it's it just feels like it's. I, but at the same time, like I don't know, we're, you know, we're talking about Iron Man Extremis this year. That's a book that just says like, yeah, we're gonna kind of we're gonna modernize and update Tony Stark's origins. Yeah, you know, and just kind of like, do that on the fly. And this is kind of doing the same thing, but just like with way bigger and bolder swings. Yeah, because I get, as someone trying to write a continuation of Black Panther in 2006, that, like, Lee Kirby Fantastic Four as the main foundation for the character, like, would isn't strong enough, right? And it, there isn't enough of a history from that to yeah. build upon. Like, I get wanting to, to retell that, and I'm not... I don't know, I'm not precious enough about that... St like... That's yeah. the the early Black Panther Kirby and Lee stuff doesn't feel like 
the best and the most interesting that character gets. It feels like hints of what that character, of the potential of that character to be achieved way later by, like, the right writers. (laughs) Well, and I think it definitely speaks to... Yeah, sure. Well, and it definitely speaks to, you know, kind of a a lack of familiarity and a lack of preciousness with that history Yeah, that I can't really even say, like, what exactly has changed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't, I actually don't have, so, like, I think that's why I'm more comfortable with it, is I, you know, it's Black Panther is spread out enough, and, and Priest is not concerned with origins, you know, at all, um, where then it's, like, the modern stuff, it's like, yeah, this hasn't been touched in ages, you know, so you do actually have wiggle room. Um, whereas again, like if you do this with a Spider-Man or, or X-Men or whatever, it's like, well, no, I actually remember those. <laughs> I actually remember yeah. those early days. But even then it's like, I, even on those big titles, I don't know, it's, I'm going to go back to that well, but, um, and it's a different thing, but Huxbox does some kind of retconning and like, sure. yeah, if you look close at it, it doesn't work, but that doesn't matter that much because it's interesting, right? Um, I think it, it's a, it's a different level. And it's different here, but I I think it's similar in the way that it's just like yeah, it's been it's been fifty years. It's fine if you want to change some stuff to to make it more interesting and have a stronger base yeah. to build upon. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm totally fine. And I feel like I'm saying I'm totally fine here. I'm sure there's a version of this where I'm really annoyed, right? Yeah, sure, um, right. Maybe we, if it's a character that has like more of a documented history and like more runs, I really love. Um, and I well, it's, like, it's that I thing we always say about the MCU, right? Where yeah. it's like, you know, we, it, it doesn't need to be a literal translation. The thing yeah. that everyone is hoping is that they capture the spirit of of the core of these characters, which is nebulous and hard to do. Yeah. Um, so I think with Black Panther and Wakanda, you're hoping that Hudlin has captured like the vibe <laughs> of this nation and and what these stories can be. And I don't. There's actually not much T'Challa characterization in this book. I actually think he kind of he's almost underserved in in an effort instead to sort of highlight what Wakanda is like and to to create Shuri and to establish you know the Queen Regent his mother and these and the kind of the players alongside him. And I'm not bothered by that at this stage because it is like well yeah like there's one character we know the most <laughs> right. We just had you know 60 issues with Priest like where T'Challa is. Is absolutely the focus. I think there is maybe a danger to, because even the priest run, it's kind of like, well, Everett Ross is the narrator. And, um, you know, you have all these other players too, where it's like, there's a danger, I think, with these, I see this with Wonder Woman a lot too. And I don't know exactly what it is. There's kind of, we have this like incredibly powerful, like figurehead of a nation. There's there's almost this danger to like make them a a tertiary character, you know, where it's like, you almost take them for granted. Um, And I, I, don't know that this run will keep doing that, uh, but it's something I think to watch out for. But yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm kind of with you. I'm like, I don't think this will work for every franchise, but here it it keeps things interesting, certainly. I don't know. Everything just kind of feels like like 22% fake. Like 22% like it's like crossing over from another multiverse. Yeah. And I, it's yeah. just kind of, it's like, it's like everything is like a little blurry because of that. Yeah, and I, I I get that. I I think I just don't. I know I I don't remember enough of the the early Black Panther stuff to for it to shock me. I was just like, yeah, I guess I guess this. Is how <laughs> yeah, it sure. Don't don't remember enough of it to yeah. to say otherwise. Um, and I I do appreciate 
like Hudden and Romita Jr. just like, you know, it is that thing of like, all right, we have the keys to a kingdom to do a cool Black Panther origin. Yeah, we're just going to have Rhino charge through Wakanda. And we're going to open with Rhino fighting a literal Rhino. <laughs> like, so cool. <laughs> I love that so sequence. Cool. And you know, like just the, like, uh, one of the ancestors of T'Challa, uh, the he, the one who was Black Panther and King during um, during colonization of, of Belgium and of France and of, of the European powers. Yeah. Um, like, single-handedly taking down those invaders that are just, like, completely confused by the technology of Wakanda. Yeah. Like, it's such a cool moment and it makes Wakanda seem so, like, yeah, cool and insanely, like, in a way that I don't think the Christopher Priest run manages to do. I think, like, and I think the art in the, in the Christopher Priest run always feels, the art and the text always feel more messy and it doesn't, like, here, JJR is so good at giving the space to just look at Wakanda and look at some of the fight scenes and, like, it's just so cool. Like it's yeah. it's yeah, really, yeah. I think like Jar Jar is really successful here. Um and like he he's really he, his bat rock is really fun. Yeah, know, like how totally. to explain it, but just like the pointy beard and the pointy beard and stuff. He's well and the, and the writing's pretty funny. Yeah. Too. I, I think yeah. like, Hudlin has a nice sense of humor. Like Bat Rock is cynical about all this, you know? Yeah. Um Rhino's like <laughs> Rhino is like this like I don't even like this, like, um, like, like blue collar American, like idiot, essentially. Yeah. You know? Um, and, uh, and cause he's just yelling all the wrong things at all the wrong times. Just this big old knucklehead. And, uh, yeah, there's like, and there's even a moment, <laughs> there's a moment when like the death locks are released and it's kind of this horrifying, you know, kind of satire, like I said. Um, but then there's a, a soldier, like there's these two soldiers talking. And, you know, he's, one of them's like, oh, would you ever, you know, can you imagine that happened to your kid or something? And he's like, oh, you know, we're doing it for the military or whatever. And then he, there's kind of like a beat and he's like, yeah, I don't, I haven't talked to my family in a while <laughs> or something. And like, there's just like this nice little kind of like cutting yeah. Which is like, like a hair away from being bandit humor. Cause it's like, I think one of, cause the death locks are going to cross like a river or something by walking on the bottom. And yeah. one of them is like, oh, did you? Did the did the guys get that idea from the recent like pirate Disney pirates movie? Oh yeah, yeah. And the other one is like, huh? What are you talking about? You know that pirates movie? And it's like, I haven't seen my kid in so long. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I know it's it's that close to being kind of a boring Bendis bit, but it's like, but it's sparser, dry you know? Yeah, and it's fun. dry. Yeah, yeah. No, I I enjoyed that actually. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I I think there's a there's a command from Hudlin of what he wants Black Panther and Wakanda to be. Yeah. I think Shuri is immediately pretty interesting and a fun addition. You know, she is she wants to be Black Panther herself. Uh she gets beat to the punch, you know, literally by by her brother already being in the ring. Um but she wants to be a hero. She gets caught in this scenario where the radioactive man is dropped in on Wakanda and she has to do something to stop him. Like I I like having a Black Panther family. You know, yeah. I I like having a sense of the royal family. I think that's kind of a thing that has been missing. I do think to your earlier point about, you know, JRJR making Wakanda cool, I think Hudlin and Ramita, they have a they have an ability to show a, a third-person view of Wakanda, you know, from the outside, whereas I think Priest is so interior Wakanda. Yeah. Like, we're always, like, inside of throne room in Wakanda. And it's, you know, the Dora Milaje and all the inner workings and conversations about Wakandan government, as opposed to, like, 
oh, here, yeah, like you said, like, here's the colonizers trying to invade. What did that look like? Here's yeah. um, where, what would kind of look like during World War II and how Black Panther and Captain America clashed, which sets the stage for, like, a, a pretty interesting miniseries that I think Hudlin also writes called, I think it's, like, Captain America Flags of Our Fathers or something like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I just, I, I do think it's, I think it's, it's successful. I wouldn't oversell this as, like, perfect comics or, or even, like, necessarily a template for how to do it, you know? Uh, but I think just in the, I don't know, there's just such a confidence to, like, yeah, we're just, we're just going for it. And we're just going to use whatever we can get away with. It, it feels like the kind of comic where you're like, I kind of can't believe they got away with that. <laughs> in the sense of, <laughs> you know, in the sense of the way it kind of, like, just yeah, reinvents yeah. everything on the fly. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of really glad to be excited about, like, the beginning of a Black Panther run. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's about time. <laughs> right? Yeah, and, like, sure. It's unfair to the Christopher Priest run, but I, I, did, I never got into it that much, uh, even though I could appreciate what it was doing. Here it feels like, I don't know, it feels like a cleaner approach in some ways. It does. Um, Priest, is, Priest is messier, and I think yeah. in that mess there are higher highs for me. Sometimes yeah. um, I think there are, you know, kind of some invention and some stylistic ticks that when they work can be really appealing, but when they're not working, it can, that run can really drag. Whereas, yeah, I mean, this, I mean, I guess the criticism would be like, you know, are you, are you sanitizing those interesting quirks? Are you dumbing it down? Sure. Yeah. You know, kind of a la like some of the criticisms of the MCU. Um, I guess I don't really feel that way. This doesn't feel dumbed down. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, like I said, like it's, it's doing a lot. It's doing it all at once. It's not being, a, it's, I am, you know, it, you know, we talked about, I can't believe they got away with it in terms of the, the continuity. I mean, there's, a, there is a boldness too, to the critiques of the white house and, and, you know, of, of saying, oh, this is a thing the U S military would do. I don't know. I feel like editorial would yeah. run screaming from that at various points in Marvel history. Um, that that's not without danger. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing a Fox news would pick up here in America and run yeah. as, you know, a, a negative sort of publicity thing for Marvel Comics. So it's not like that's not semi-ambitious. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I'm looking up here. This is, a, this is a new Black Knight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. This is Augustine Dulac. does he have Dulac. any other appearances? No, he shows up here. And according to the wiki, his current whereabouts are unknown. <laughs> cool. Well, Incredible. Get excited Incredible. for next year's new <laughs> new Black Black Knight series. Black Knight, um, you could do all. You could do a Black Knight family. The Black. Knights. I mean, even like them getting to the Vatican to go get the Ebony Blade and and have their racist Black Knight is like yeah yeah that's you know that's not a, a a usual Marvel thing of being like yeah the Vatican has like some some secret like white crusaders <laughs> guys yeah. going around. That's, it is unafraid yeah. of of secret institutions. Yeah. Which is kind of a nice POV to have for a Black Panther book. Yeah. You know, because you have this Wakanda that is like, like stands apart and is skeptical of all these other things. Uh, that is kind of important, actually. It's definitely not a thing I would have noticed the first go around, I don't think. Um, maybe I'm a little more aware of that now. So, yeah. yeah so, so you're excited to read more of this, you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, especially now that I know that there's like an actual run that comes out of this. I'm curious yeah. to see what, what he does with Black Panther in present day. Now that I know it's not present day. <laughs> Yeah, we might have to. Um, yeah. I might have to mix in a few more issues of this because i I've never I've never put it in the read it all run category mentally. Yeah, like there's some huge legacy stuff that we're gonna check in on for sure. Um, but I remember I remember liking it. I just never put it in the the top tier. 
So I'm curious what folks will think of how this yeah. continues. Maybe it's better than I remember. I don't know. Could be. All right. Any any additional thoughts, Charlotte? I think we've covered a lot here. No, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to read more, both like more more Daredevil from someone else and more Black Panther from this. Uh, yeah. from this creative team. Yeah. Because I don't know if does JRJR stick around as well. <sighs> That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know how long he's on the title. I gotta yeah. say. Okay. I definitely do not remember. You also have Klaus Janssen inks, which I had totally forgotten. So you really have a powerhouse artistic team. You have uh, Dean White on colors, who's a colorist I come to really love. Yeah. In uh in the coming years on Marvel, let's see. By the next arc, we have we do not have well we have a House of M tie in, and oh, then yeah, we so have that. no. It looks like this is the this is the Romita Junior arc, as okay. far as I can well, tell. Okay. So yeah, we're gonna we'll get we're gonna is. get a change. Yeah, because then we're going to start doing some X-Men. From here, see, this is see this is why I, I forget about this run. It goes House of M crossover, then a crossover with X-Men called Wild Kingdom, and it's not till issue 10 that it settles back in Yeah, okay. as its own thing again, and then it, it starts getting big, I think, from that point. Okay. Yeah. All right, next time on My Marvelous Year, we're going to do... We're going to do a hodgepodge of kickoffs and one patron recommendation for our last episode of 2005. We're going to do a Drax the Destroyer revamp by the legendary and recently passed Keith Giffen, RIP to Keith Giffen, but a fascinating Drax the Destroyer revamp, which is kind of crucial to this era of Mortal Cosmic. And then we're going to read the Runaways relaunch, which I'm actually really interested to reread. Is that Um, a Just Sweden one? I don't think we're at the Whedon yet because okay. I think because Brian K. Vaughn does the first relaunch. Oh, okay. I, it, okay. It's often I often forget that he had two runs, or he yeah. had two series rather. You know, it's, I guess it's all one run, but I always forget that BKV stays. And then uh, and then we're gonna do Marvel Team Up number fourteen. This is added by Patreon backer Cody. Thank you, Cody. This is the team up of the century, Charlotte. I bet you can never guess who teams up in this comic book. You'll is never the, guess it. Is it the Invincible one? It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so that, uh, that'll that have to coordinate with our Convincible. Convincible yeah. will be returning for, for issue no, episode. episode number two. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, this is My Marvelous Year. You can support us over at patreon.com slash year or leave a rating and review on iTunes and or Spotify. I'm Dave. That's Charlotte. We will be back next time. Find all the comics in the show notes. Music for the show is by Disaster Peace. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and enjoy the comics. No, no. See you next year. See you next year. See you you next year. (laughs) Don't enjoy your comics. (laughs)